All right, we're going to jump into this sermon. We're going to go through the whole thing. You're going to be here a little later than you normally are, and you're going to be okay with that because I said so. I, I don't know. The Lord said so. Let's call on him. Uh, but guys, I, as you know, we've been going through our series, Jesus is for Losers. I'm extremely excited about this series. I told you last week, I love this series so much, uh, so, so much. And uh, I wish that I would have been the one that wrote it. it. I didn't come up with it. That was all Rodney. Uh, I'm still going to, in a couple years, I'll redo this series and pretend it was just me when everybody's forgotten. So we're looking at Paul today. We are looking at the Apostle Paul today. And when you look at the beginnings of the Christian church, there is no greater character really than Paul the Apostle. He's the, uh, the impossible. I put like apostle and impossible together. I don't really know where I was going with that than Paul the Apostle, right? He is the author of 13 books of our canonized Bible. His influence is undeniable in the life of a Christian. And while the majority of the apostles and disciples are made up of fishermen, tent makers, craftsmen, a tax collector or two, Paul was a Pharisee. That's how he got his start. He was an expert of the law and religious matters. So his influence makes sense when you realize that he was by far the most qualified person called into the ministry of Jesus out of any other person really called to God's ministry except for like, you know, Christ. Now, that is, of course, if you ignore the fact that he was a murdering hate-filled killer of Christians before he got his start. You see, Paul was, in fact, a loser because he started his ministry by fighting directly against Christ, and not only fighting directly against Christ, but killing those who believed in Christ and persecuting them to such a degree that he scattered the early church. He scattered the early church. I mean, Paul was the most qualified, and yet he was the worst of the worst. And here's a secret if you guys haven't realized this yet. Outside of Jesus, God has never called anyone to do anything who hadn't experienced a giant L, right, in their life, a giant loss. Everyone called into the ministry shouldn't have been called into the ministry. Everyone started out as a loser. But as we talked about last week, Jesus has the final say. And if at any point today you're thinking, man, God can't use me because of X, Y, Z, right? There's this reason and there's that reason and these things have been done to me and I have done these things to others and, and I have just lived such a life of sin. If at any point you find yourself thinking that, understand this, you are wrong. Understand that God will often use you, not only in spite of your shortcomings, but because of them. God is going to use you, not only because of your shortcomings, but because of them. The things that embarrass you, the things that you want to hide, the things that you're ashamed of, the things you wish nobody knew is actually what qualifies you for service. That is the goodness of our God. For the good for the good, right? He works all things together. What a perfect song for this morning. It's a process. It's a process. Where you start cannot be where you finish, right? And that is made possible through a relationship with Christ. Paul's process begins in Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen. Now we are told that Stephen, 
uh, a servant of the early church. We, we are first told of him starting in verse 58, and this is what it says. It says, they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, right? When he said it, he died. Now, I'm assuming everyone knows, but you know what assumptions can do. So just so you know, when you see Saul in this verse, it's Paul, right? Saul, Paul, same person. The name change actually has nothing to do with his conversion, if you didn't know that. It has everything to do with just like the region he was in. One region he's Saul, and the other region he's Paul. And so like once he shifts to Paul, it's just because he's in a different geographical place, right? It's like from Greek to, to you know, Rome to whatever the other one is. You guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> but here's Saul at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was like a, a, just a man on fire for Christ in the early church, and he was really making a difference. He was kind of like getting in that position where he was the figurehead, and Paul and the Pharisees come along, and they kill him. They take his life. And so what does Saul do during this whole thing? He watches the garments of the other people. They're like, I'm going to take off my jacket so I can get a full arm motion on this throw, right? I really want to make sure I nail this guy. And Paul's like, hey, put your jackets here. No one will touch them. No one will touch him. And just so we know that Paul isn't uh, some innocent bystander who just happened to be there and bear witness to what was taking place, we're told in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. So not only was he there, but he approved of the execution. It goes on to tell us in verses 2 and 3, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women, and he committed them to prison. But wait, there's more. Because we're told in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, but Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, Paul's only goal for his life in this moment is to snuff out the movement of Christ, to make sure that there is no remnant left. He wanted to imprison them all and kill them all and maim them all and get rid of them all so that Christ would only be a memory. That was his goal. That was his goal. That was, of course, until he met Jesus. That's who he was, and then he meets Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, 3 through 9. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blinded by the light. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate or drank. 
Skipping ahead to verse 17, we're told that a man named Ananias was told to go and find him. And so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, I want you to think about the position that Ananias was in when God called him to go to this man who had been spending his entire adult life killing and imprisoning people just like him, just for what they believed. Can you imagine, even though God called him, the nerves that he felt and the risk that he must have thought he was taking by going and putting himself in this man's presence? And by saying, Jesus sent me to you. Just three days before, Saul was on the road to take this man, to find him, to bind him, and to imprison him. And yet, here he is, stepping out in faith. And we see Paul, Saul, Saul, Paul, baptized, taking food finally, and being restrengthened. Moving on to 19, like the second half of it, 19b we'll call it through 21. It says, for some days, this is Paul, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Just days before he was asking for letters to take to this same synagogue to show the leaders there to say, I have been empowered to imprison anyone who follows the way. But mere days later, after meeting Jesus, he is there proclaiming this person who was the cause of your imprisonment is actually the son of the living God. <laughs> what? How? I don't get it. But in the synagogue saying he is the son of God, verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed, no duh, and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief's priests? Here's what I need you to understand. I don't care. And I'm telling you personally, I do not care and this is not in a negative way. I do not care who you were before you stepped foot into this church. I do not care what you've done before you met Jesus. You cannot make me blush. You cannot. If there is a sin to be committed, I've most likely committed it. I relate to Paul outside of just the connection with the name because I look around in most rooms and understand that out of all the sinners... I'm the worst. I can tell you stories that I don't want to tell you that would make your hair curl. I can tell you of the times that I overdosed and should have died and somehow miraculously still woke up. I can tell you about how I valued no one and nothing and how I mocked people for believing what I was taught was true my entire life. We can go through it all. And again, I tell you, 
those shortcomings have qualified me for service. They have been part of what God has done to turn me into the man that I am today. And there's nothing that you have done that disqualifies you. There's nothing that you have done that will make me blush. There's nothing that you have done that will make me think less of you because I do not care who you were. I care about who you are. It's not about who you were on your journey before Christ stopped you in your tracks. It's about who you become after that point that matters. We already talked about how it was a coincidence that Saul went to Paul because it really had nothing to do with his conversion. But the reason I call it a coincidence is because when we experience Christ, we undergo a bit of a renaming ceremony. We are no longer lost. We are saved. We are no longer just sinners. We are children of God. We are relabeled. We are reborn. And all that matters is what happens from that point forward. Your past isn't a weapon to be wielded against you. It has been turned into a gift to help you reach others who have the same struggles. Now, if I have one fault, you know that it's been that I am too open. I share too much. I just do. But I have abused drugs because I made terrible decisions. But because I did that, now I can reach people who have abused drugs. I have struggled my entire life with lust. And once computers were invented, my Lord, a porn addiction, straight from the hub of hell. But I can reach people and I can understand people and I can relate to people who are in that struggle. Do I wish that none of that took place? Absolutely. I would love to not have any blemishes. I would love to not have any bumps or bruises. But these things in my life that have made me feel like less than, these things in my life that I have struggled to overcome have equipped me for ministry in the best way. Because I can now approach people with empathy and understand their struggle. I've dealt with depression. We're going to talk a lot about depression next week. As we look at another biblical giant who spent much of his life depressed. I've dealt with depression and anxiety and felt like nothing so that I can reach out to others when they are feeling that way and truly tell them I've been there. God uses the things in our past, not as a weapon against us. He is forgiven, and I believe truly he has forgotten, but he uses those things now as tools for us to help others. Your past struggles don't define you. Finding Christ doesn't mean also that your struggles are over. We don't find Christ and then become perfect beings. We don't find Christ and then have no struggle. We don't find Christ and then everything's great, right? 
What do we hear from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10? It says, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now we can only take a guess at what Paul's struggle was, but we know that he had one and we know it wasn't going anywhere. And lots of us in this room today have a battle that will be a battle for the rest of our lives. And we can approach that with a defeatist attitude or we can use that to bring glory to God. We can use that to show the power of God. I, in my life, you know I broke my back. A lot of you know I broke my back. I broke my back when I was 18 playing football. And I am a sufferer of chronic pain. It's, I also have bad genetics. Mom, if you're watching, it's your fault. right? <laughs> I have a degenerative, I can't say that word, disc disease, where the disc in between my lumbar and my spine are just disappearing. And... I don't know if you've noticed, but I also happen to be fat. Just being honest, that doesn't help either, right? I suffer from chronic pain. I am in pain every single day. I wake up in pain. You can ask Jerrica. It takes me 45 minutes to get out of bed in the morning. I'm twisting and I'm turning and I'm stretching and I'm pulling my knees into my chest and I'm praying that while I do that, none of it's going to blow my back out because stretching doctors say, it's supposed to be good for you, right? Every single day of my life, I'm in pain. Secret, I'm in pain right now. My back hurts. It hurts real bad. I don't know why. I haven't really done anything. I'm trying to be healthy and like eat less and not just fill my face with cake and ice cream, but it's so good, right? <laughs> There's not a lot I can do about the degenerative, I cannot say that. Thank you. I'm going to have somebody come up and just stand next to me and say that word, point to you, you say it, right? Nothing I can do about that. That was genetic. Thanks, mom, right? I am always going to be in pain. I've been told that. I was told that at 18. They did an MRI on my back. They said, hey, congratulations. You're going to live a long time, but you're going to be in pain every single day of your life. Hey, thanks. You have arthritis in your back that's worse than most 80-year-olds. We're going to put this needle directly into your spine. Great. Keep the good news coming, right? Every single day of my life, I'm in pain. And I have asked God over and over and over again to take it away. Please, give me another vice. I just don't want this one. Now, there have been days where I have prayed, God, if you could just take the pain away today, you can double it tomorrow. And I'll tell you, that prayer has been answered on multiple occasions. <laughs> I just need to make it through this experience with my family, and then tomorrow I'll do nothing, right? Why do I tell you this story? Because I have sincerely, I have earnestly 
prayed for healing. I have gone to healing services. I have been to different churches that promise healing. If you just believe, I have believed. I have asked. I have had people who I know believe lay hands on me, anoint me with oil, put their hand on my back, make me all sorts of uncomfortable and pray and weep and ask God to change my situation. And guess what? I woke up next day in just as much pain as I was the day before. I am confident now that it's not going away. There are things I can do to make it better. I can exercise. I can eat better. I can stretch. I can do all those things, and those things help. But as far as being out of pain, that is not a thing that's going to happen in my life. In some days, guys, it's really hard. In some days, I'm really negative. Some days, I take it out on my wife and my kids just because I hurt, and they wanted to say hello to me. And it sucks for them. And it sucks for me, but it happens. And you know what? I can stand before you right now today and I can tell you that breaking my back and being in pain every day is the greatest thing. And I'm not kidding when I say this, the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Because I was headed down a path where I thought I was so invincible and I thought I was so special and I thought I was so perfect and I didn't need anyone or anything. I just needed me. And I'm walking down the road and I'm feeling good about myself and God says, no more. I'm in pain, but I'm happier I love people. I know that God is real. I can see so many blessings that are beyond what I deserve. And the thorn in my side can't touch it and can't take it away. Because I have learned in my weaknesses that even though I am weak and even though I am incapable, God is strong and he can do all things and he will do all things. And my struggles and your struggles allow for Christ to be on full display. And it's through your story that someone's life is going to be changed. And there is power in that. And praise God that we get to be a part of that story. Because he uses losers like me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. And God, I know sometimes in this era of self-love and telling us, you know, we're supposed to look in the mirror and affirm ourselves and we're so great and everything's fine and it's okay to be just the way that we are, God, sometimes it doesn't feel right to tell ourselves that we are losers. But God, I'm a loser. I'll say it. I am nothing without you. I am nothing without you. But in the same vein, God, I am something because of you. I am something because of you. And that self-worth that I feel that has been implanted in me by you cannot be touched by human hands. It cannot be touched by circumstances. It cannot be touched by the ebbs and flows of this life because I know that regardless of how I'm feeling in a moment, you get to determine what I am for an eternity. And God, there is so much power in that. And you have given us grace. And you have told us that despite of the things that we are ashamed of, we are worthy of your love. 
and you have called us into your service. You have looked down upon us and said, I can use you and I will use you. God, give us hearts and minds that are willing to just lay down at your feet to surrender it all. To say wherever it is that you lead, I will go, I will follow, I will be there. Help us to have faith and to trust that you are working all things together for our good. That God, even in the moments when we don't understand, even in the moments where we feel like we're being slighted, even in the times, God, where we feel like everything just needs to change, you're working and you're present. You are for us. And because you are for us, there is nothing that can stand against. God, we honor you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up. Let's worship. Let's worship. If there's something you need to pray about, come pray. You want to come pray with me? Come pray with me. I would love to pray with you. If you want to use our stage as an altar, come kneel. Come pray. Take it directly to God. That's one of the great things about our God. You don't have to come to me. You can go straight to him. He wants that relationship with you. If you need to talk about what it means to be saved, to turn your life over to Jesus, now's the time. There's no time like the present. If you're interested in church membership, come see me after service. I know we've got one that's going to join us today. I'm not going to call her up here. I might still. She, no, I don't know. I won't do it to her. But we're going to celebrate it all the same. Okay, we're going to celebrate it all the same. But if you're interested in church membership, if you want to come be officially a part of our ranks, we would be honored by that. Otherwise, now is a time for you to reflect. It's a time for you to worship. It's a time for you to give an offering of praise. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now.